You're listening to Creatives Prevail, unraveling the stories of creative professionals. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Creatives Prevail. I'm your host, Mike Zimmerlich, and my next guest is entrepreneur, author, and speaker, Tanya Mushi. In this interview, we talk about how she bootstrapped her own coffee shop and then sold it even though she received an offer to expand to seven locations. We also talk about her book, Love is a Business Plan, and where to find inspiration and joy in your work. Let's get into it. Tanya, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on, Mike. Oh, my pleasure. We we go way back, you and I. <laughs> I was thinking about this today. It's actually been 10 years. Has it been 10 years? Shut <laughs> up. <laughs> it's crazy. It's telling of our age. I didn't expect that. Wow. That's yeah. amazing. Uh, you yeah. know, it, it does not feel like it's been that long, you know, know. but at the same time, time it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, because I feel like, you know, because we, we knew each other, we'll, we'll talk about that, but we knew each other through the coworking space cohoots, right? So it was one of those things that we were just friendly because you had this uh, coffee shop greater than coffee that was there. So of course I'm going to need to pick me up or a snack, whatever the case is, and I'll go there. So we would have all these friendly conversations, but we didn't truly find, uh, um, you know, bonded you know, and, and found a friendship because we found the same interests and inspiration. Yeah. And, so after the shop. Yeah, exactly. So uh, it's just been amazing to to see how both of us have grown, you know, since that those early days of cohoots. It's been a journey, and I've loved it. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I was literally talking about that journey today, so I'm excited to uh, to be here and talk about it again. So let's let's go from the beginning then. So you was there a specific moment that you knew that you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Oh yes, this is a great question. And I, I actually, I've written about this, uh, but, and it's really counterintuitive. So I saw a, a film called Enron, Smartest Guys in the Room. And it's essentially about corporate greed and how businesses are like incredibly unethical, um, how certain businesses are really un- unethical. And I was um, very intrigued by this. I was like very intrigued by the human psychology behind like why you would use a business to be greedy when you could use a business to like, to be good and generous and kind. And like, I was super inspired by that. I think I was like 15. Cause when I was 16 for my sweet 16, I asked for a business law and ethics book. And my mom was like, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> wow. That, that, that must've been really out of left field. Yeah. she <laughs> Yeah. She was surprised. <laughs> it was a pricey, but it was like a $200 book. Wow. It's crazy. Yeah. But that's but that's what you wanted at, at 16. Did you did you know did you know at that point that what kind of business you wanted to start or just you just wanted it to start your own business? You know, I had like not a lot of people know this and I rarely talk about this. So I'm, I'm excited to talk about it here. But I think I had some somewhere around like 300 ideas, 30, 30 to 50, which have been like actually like started in some way, shape or form, like to the point where I'd have like business cards and a website for it. And then I'd just be like, eh. <laughs> so many of those. Um, and I don't know if you even know this, but one of my first, um, the first business I ever incorporated was actually, it was called Capital Promotions. It's since dissolved. Uh, but I was, I think I was like 18 and it was marketing for uh, artists. Really? Yes. Yeah, so it was marketing promotions 
for uh, artists. And the very first show that we had put together uh, that night, the, the artist that I was promoting uh, went to jail. And I was like, I am too young for this. <laughs> okay. So that is a very, that's a really hilarious. Cause there's so many stories like that out there where it's like, oh yeah. Worked with the artists of the day end up going to jail. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I'm, and I was like 19 when that happened. I was like, that's, I'm too young for this. Like I can't even, I wasn't even like legal to get into the club where the like promotions were. <laughs> so I, uh, I pivoted really quickly into um, marketing for real estate and finance professionals. Wow. Yeah. And so uh, that was that. And then the coffee shop that you know about is actually my second formalized, like incorporated business. So what made you decide to start a, a coffee shop specifically? Because that's very yeah. different from marketing consulting. Super different, but something that's been on the back burner since I was literally 14 years old. So I had this um, I, I had this program. I don't know if you know, it's called Google SketchUp. It's I've really, heard of it. Yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah it's like a 3D rendering uh, software. And I had a mock-up of this tiny shop, this coffee shop. And coffee is like super sentimental in my family. It's like where you, when you have conversations, you're having coffee outside. When people are coming over, you're making them coffee. And it's like, I used to bring coffee to my parents when, when like they would sleep, they would be sleeping. I'd be like four or five and like bring them coffee in the morning. So it's a very sentimental thing. Um, but when I was 14, I was playing with Google SketchUp, made this really funny looking like mock-up of an ideal coffee shop and it was like this place full of ideas like the whole purpose of it was to support people with ideas and um and then I was like in the middle of my master's program this is like nine years later literally nine years later and I had run into Kelsey Wong goes by Lotus now Lotus Wong and she was the director of operations for Cahoots she was telling me about the space that they're building at this co-working space and uh I went to go check it out they were taking bids and it it looked exactly like my rendering wow like like all the ideas they had for it and the it was so crazy it was so crazy and like the people that it was supporting even um so yeah i had cashed out i was working at charles schwab after my undergrad so i like cashed out my 401k ate the penalty and then used that to to show financing for the uh for the shop and there were six bidders and I think it was like a backwards way of being like, I'm in a master's program and I'm going to need coffee all the time. So <laughs> let me just open the shop. <laughs> Very extreme just, way. Of... Just, just be your, your the dealers, of the, you know, your, your own supply. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, that's how I got, that's how I got into it. It was, a, it was a heck of a pivot, but it's been something that's been like always on the back burner. I remember it being built too, because that was the time that, that new, that the, Prior, prior location of Cohoots was being built at that time. And uh, yeah, I remember it being built and it was, it was, it was amazing because it was, it was a relatively smallish space, but you did, did a lot with that area. And then also you could see your own creativity come through it as the shop was being built and really doing more than, hence the name greater than coffee, doing more than just even coffee in that area. Thanks for saying that. I don't think, you know, people ask me like, why did you choose this location? Um, it was definitely because of cahoots. I would not have done it in another location because we, so the reason we sold the coffee shops, so we ended up selling it like 19 months later, uh, was two months before we sold it. We actually got an offer to build out, I think it was seven other locations, wow. which, is like, which is like the dream, right? If you own a coffee shop, you're like, oh, you get to expand. 
like that's cool and um yeah we met with some people they're going to cover the full build and I was like oh yeah that's not what I want to do actually <laughs> don't don't want to manage those chains it was very much like I want to be around these entrepreneurs I want to be around these creators I want to be around makers and people who are doing things and it was a super intentional decision to be in that space I would not have done it otherwise so it was a question of scaling or a question of culture or both no it was like you know I always think of like when I'm thinking about work, I'm thinking about how I want to spend my life. And that wasn't, it wasn't like in operations of nine locations of coffee shops. I just wasn't interested in it. So what made you decide to then sell the original location? I mean, there's a difference between expanding, but then also maintaining your current oper operations. Why did you yeah. decide to sell uh, greater than coffee? Yeah. So it was super structured and it was a big pivot point for me. So I had just finished my master's. Like it was just there. And um, and we got an offer from our tea supplier, Joseph. <laughs> um, and it just everything sort of like fell in line. It was a very, very structured environment. And I was like, I'm ready to go on the opposite extreme. Like it was like a six to six day, you know, <laughs> like six a.m. to six p.m. And I was like, let's like, can I make this work without that kind of structure? Can I have more freedom? And so we got, you know, we got the offer and it was, uh, it, it was just like a win-win. So you sold this, the coffee shop. Yep. Did you have a plan then of what you wanted to do next? Yeah. Uh, I had an idea, had a general idea. I did not have a lot of money because the, the, um, the buyer was, we agreed that they'll pay over time which I actually really appreciated because I was like, okay, this is kind of a, like a runway for me. Right. So I like, I like that. I'm very big on constraints. Like people are like, how do you be more creative? I'm like put constraints around you and watch how creative you can be. Um, but I knew that I wanted, so I had been working on the Squarespace platform for fun for a long time, since 2008, since they were like the first iteration of Squarespace. Um, and when I sold the shop, it was 2014. So Squarespace had sort of come along, come a long way. And um, I knew that I wanted to work on a laptop. And I had, there are very specific things that I could do. I was not good at like Adobe Photoshop. I sucked at that. <laughs> like, I think I really sucked at it. So I was like, what are my skills, you know? And I had been playing with this software for six years now. And uh, it was a fairly easy transition because it was like, you know, I had done it for myself with my own ideas hundreds of times. And so that was, that was a big thing. I also had the constraint of like, I had a really old laptop. So I bought like a used MacBook Air. And so I remember I positioned this, you didn't really appreciate this. Um, I positioned it as like, I won't use anything but cloud software as like being at the forefront but it was really like my MacBook would not be able to handle like <laughs> actual software. So in your in your case, it was more constraints. It was definitely more constraints. Yeah, yeah. And so that's, but yeah, that's how that started. It really was like a, it was, I think it was like two or three months after I sold the shop and I, I was in Chicago on vacation uh, with that laptop. And I was like, all right, let's try this. Now you had relationships with a lot of the entrepreneurs yes. that are in the co-working space. Yeah, which is which was the reason I was able to like to like really take off because the the first client that I had, I remember I did five sort of 
like uh, five emails, five outreach emails, and they're super intentional. So I'm a big fan of like, you're not doing cold emails. You're going to, or if you have cold contacts, you want to try to warm them up in some way. So I actually went for um, friends of friends, which is based on a, a study that most opportunities you have uh, work-wise, your love even is like through, it's not through somebody who's super close to you. It's actually somebody who's more of an acquaintance. Hmm. Interesting. The grand majority of opportunities come this way. So, um, so yeah, so my aim was sort of like friends of friends. So like if they looked, you know, if they looked me up, they would see like, oh, we have a mutual friend in common. And so the first five people I did outreach to, um, you know, one of our mutual friends was, uh, uh, um, an office mate. So yeah, worked out. Wow. So now at this point in time, you were now acting more of a consultant type of a role, right? Going kind of going back to what you were doing before the coffee shop. Yes. Yes. I still was, um, I was definitely doing more designer stuff. Uh, and I think a lot of people referred to me as developer, but really I was like, I started in web design, but it was mostly consulting. Hmm. Yeah. So can you talk about the differences between, because obviously there's very different between managing a coffee shop and then having customers coming up in comparison to doing consulting work where you're essentially working for somebody else, if you will. So can you talk about the differences between those? Yeah, so different. <laughs> it's like B2C or B2B. And right. uh, quite frankly, well, you know, there's two, there's, it's interesting because now that I don't have the coffee shop, I'm like, man, I love having a physical space. It's so cool, you know? Um, but there with B2B, I was always really fascinated by it because um, you're essentially selling an invisible thing when you're working in the digital world. And I thought that was so incredible. Like I could take an idea in my brain and sell it. <laughs> like that was nuts, you know? Whereas like you have for a coffee shop, you have like cost of goods sold, like how much are the beans this week? And you know, how much is milk and how like all of these things? And you know, how long are people staying? What's the turnaround? And uh, one of the coolest things we did at the coffee shop was that tab system. I don't know if you remember that tab here. It was really, really cool. What was that? Remind me. Yeah, it was awesome. So you you basically, um, so members of the space could pay in advance and they would have a tab with us. Yes, I did that. Yes, you did. I, I did that a lot, actually. Yes. I remember that now. <laughs> it was so awesome because like we, we had money up front, but also like you could bring people in and there wasn't that like weird exchange of like, you know, who's paying whatever you were just like, Hey, can I get like two coffee or can I get an iced tea? Right. Can I, mm -hmm. can they get an iced tea? And it was like, no problem. And it was so smooth and like seamless. So it yep. made everybody feel really good. And it was just, it was a really cool. It was I, really cool. I did really appreciate that system because I think it was, it was so brilliant on your part because it, it continuously invested into er, your early purchases, right. Yeah. At the same token for, for me, I think what I liked about, well, first of all, I, I kind of want to, honestly, I wanted to support you. So I was just like, cool. But I think for me also, the, the other thing was, like you said, is that I had a tab. So if I had somebody like somebody coming into the co-working space that I was working out of, I can come up and just treat them to a drink or something along those lines. Cause I already had a tab, so on, nice. I'm a tab at the coffee shop. Yeah, exactly. It's super nice. But anyway, so yeah, it's like, you know, you have to consider like real costs, whereas when you're working in the digital space, you don't, you, there's, you know, you don't really have a lot of costs. Like you have like your website hosting and like, I think I was paying for Canva at the time. I don't even think I was paying for Google workspace. I, I was, I was like using a free Gmail account. So it was like the margins. I was like, oh my God, I can operate this business for like less than like 50 bucks a month. It's crazy. 
you know, it's very, very different than when you have an actual brick and mortar location. Yeah, absolutely. So there are so many amazing things that you did at the coffee shop, but I do want to talk about your book because you had, you wrote a book called love is the business plan, which is amazing by the way. And, Mm -hmm. and so you can talk about what inspired you to write the book and what the book is about. Yeah. Uh, the book is an outpouring quite frankly. Uh, the book started from a blog post that I had written for a company called delivering happiness. And it started as a blog post and the blog post, the title of it was the new business plan love. And it was like, how do you approach business in such a way where like you're, you love the people that you work with, you love the the customers that you serve, you love, um, the work that you're doing and like, you're really putting yourself in it. Like what would, what would work look like if you like really put yourself in it? Like you, you really tried because you cared about it, you know? Um, and the blog post was so well-received. So delivering happiness distributed and like VPs from like Infusionsoft and like all of these random like web PT, like, ra- like all of these bigger organizations would like invite me in and they'd be like, we just want to meet you. And you know, see, like, like, and I was like, oh, this is so cool. Um, and so I did. And that was in, that was in like 2015. Um, and then I didn't write the book till like five years later. And the, the reason that I wrote it, it, it's a bunch of short chapters, really, really short chapters uh, of just kind of like things that I've gone through. But, um, it, you know, I didn't write it for an audience. I definitely wrote it for me. It's definitely an outpouring, definitely an outpouring. It was very much like, I just need to get this out of me <laughs> and, and I am going to dedicate three months to do this. So yeah, I didn't take any client work for that, that time. I just woke up and sat at the computer. Wow. And, and it's, it's, it's amazing book. I was actually re, uh, going revisiting some chapters, but right before our interview and, and it's amazing because it, you even mentioned in there about that. Ironically, the whole scandal with Enron was an, essentially an inspiration <laughs> for this, even for writing this book. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's funny that like Enron was like a catalyst for like getting into business because people are like, how? <laughs> like, how did that inspire you? And it was like what it was, you know, it, it was like what it wasn't inspired me. Right. Yeah. It, it inspired you to do the opposite, essentially. Exactly. So I, I know this could be a little bit of a broad question, but what does good business mean to you? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. It's something I've been thinking a lot about lately because it's such a vague phrase, right? When you say good business, I know what it means because I know what it feels like, but it's hard to articulate. Um, For me, entrepreneurship is like a personal growth hack. So it's like, if it's making me a better person, it's a good business. And if it's helping other people, it's a good business. (laughs) That's, That's really like the way that I define it. You know, I love that because it is very straightforward, but it to me makes perfect sense right if it, if it's something that to me i think it, it's it's both right it's a combination of that it's designed for your own personal growth and and happiness but also in addition to that provides value to others at the same time i think yeah. to me that is that is good business that because you are you are feeling fulfilled in what you're doing exactly and at the same token somebody else is feeling fulfilled in what you're providing. Yeah. It's something I think about is like, am I contributing to somebody's life in a positive way? The answer is yes. I'm going to keep going, you know? Um, And then for me, this is really extreme, but I'm just going to tell you, I have like a hyper, I'm like very hyper aware of the fact that like 
if I die in the middle of this thing that I'm doing, am I okay with that? <laughs> and I am re- like, I really do approach things like that. And it's like, if the answer is yes, then I'm doing that thing. And sometimes it's like a really, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, I'm doing business planning today, but I know that I want to do that. That is what I want to do. <laughs> so it's like, I'm very intentional about like what, what I'm actually doing. Um, and I, I really approach a lot of things that way. I really do. It's like, a li- it's a little extreme, but it makes sure that like, I'm content with the way that I'm spending my time. You never know what life is going to bring your way. And I mean, the extreme is obviously you die. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. But also, I mean, who knows? I mean, you, you know, there could be, you know, a, you know, a, a, a tragedy that happens in your family or, you know, or something happens where it completely upends. I mean, look what happened with the entire you know world with the pandemic oh, and how everything got overturned. Yeah. So you never know where things, what's going to happen to you in life. So if you are unhappy with where you are now, yeah, what can you do to change that? I mean, you know, I think a lot about, um, my friends who've inspired me. One of my friends, named David Ryan, and he uh, he said something once. This is years ago. He said something. Uh, he's like he like won a Webby Award. And he was like 18 years old. Wow. And I was like, why do you do all these things? He's like the organizer for WordCamp Phoenix, and he he just does a lot. Uh, works for Bluehost. And I was like, why do you do all these things? And he was like, because I can. <laughs> I was like. That is the best reason I've ever <laughs> like, and it was just like such a pure reason. He was just like, because I can, like one day I'm maybe won't be able to. So like, because I can right now I'm, I'm going to, and I love that so much. And so I think, I don't think people, um, I think people are scared to try. Like they forget, like the time is going to pass anyway. You might as well be in pursuit of something you're interested in or that you, that you like, or that you're just curious about because the time will pass regardless, you know, do you, where do you usually find your inspiration from? Is it mostly from, from friends and colleagues or where do you usually get your inspiration from? That's a great question. I am, uh, I am notorious for finding inspiration literally everywhere. It's, it's nuts. Um, I see it everywhere. I can't, I can't not see it to be totally honest. It's really weird. Uh, I think a lot of people have, have had an influence on me that they don't know that they've had. I think that's a that's a real thing uh you know like a friend says something in passing and like I remember when I was like just starting out this older friend of mine was like she had she was like at a dealership and she had gotten a car and she was like yeah I mean the car was like 35 35,000 like I could have bought it in cash but you know I just I did like the payment thing whatever and she's like telling me the story and I remember being like wow you could buy like you could have bought that in cash and like you would have been all right and then I was like okay that's a good goal let's see if we can do 35k you know like it's like certain things will inspire you that you don't even realize uh and so I was very uh so I pick up on a lot of things like that and then um I mean in general I think I think it's fun to seek beauty I think it's really really fun to seek beauty and I think uh I think you will find what you're looking for so I'm very intentional about looking for uh, positive things I try to do daily walks for that reason, not only for just exercise in general, but I I'm very fortunate in the area that I live in is a very beautiful neighborhood. So I able to just, just no, you know, I don't, I try not to look at my phone or anything like that. And just, I just look up 
and just look at everything that's around me, look at the sky and look at the gorgeous mountains and everything. And I find that it gives me that sense of serenity. Uh, it's, it's inspiring for me, not necessarily for coming up with ideas, but just inspiring for me to appreciate what I have. Mm, I love that. Yeah. I noticed in, in new cities, if you like my Instagram, I feel like you might've seen this. It's like, I just love to, if I'm traveling to a new city, I love to walk that city and like just find beautiful things. I love buildings. I love architecture. I love seeing like people on the street. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. I think, I think when you approach things with like a, a really intense amount of gratitude, it's hard not to be inspired. I agree. I agree. I think it does have to start with gratitude first. Yeah, definitely. Which speaking of which you have a newsletter that's really all about this and, and then some. <laughs> so can you talk about uh, the daily, your daily inspire newsletter? Yeah. Daily Inspire has been so fun. Thank you for bringing that up. Literally to, was it today is either today or like late last night. Uh, I saw that it was voted number one by one of my, one of my friends is like a subscriber base. He's got a, he's got, he's got a base of about 130,000 people. Wow. And um, they voted at number one. And I was shocked because a lot of people that I admire are on that list uh, as well. And so that was really, really cool. Um, Daily Inspire started as a text community during COVID. Uh, I got a $1,000 grant to start it. And I um, it was literally like I wanted to just try a text community. I've never done it before. And I thought it would be cool. Um, and then the platform that I was using hiked their prices so much. They hiked, they did a 10x on their price point. Wow. Uh, and they did not grandfather people in. And I thought that was like crazy unethical. And, um, and so I reached out to the community that I had, and most people were open to, for it to be an actual email newsletter. And I've always liked, like, I always have a lot of these experiments and things that I try and run. And I, I never really had a platform to like share it with people. So I was like, okay, let's see if we can maintain like the actual uh, daily shorts. So during the weekdays, the really short form newsletter. And then on the weekends, it's kind of like behind, like, like, in my thoughts and like behind the business, it's like a longer form weekend edition. So yeah, daily inspire is meant to help people who are doing hard things. It's meant to inspire courage, um, which I think is a lot of us. And <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I enjoy writing it. I write it usually for myself and what ends up happening is it resonates with other people quite strongly. So what I love about the newsletter, cause I, I do uh, read it and what I really appreciate is that it's a combination of something that is inspiring or motivating, but also informational too. There's usually we'll mention the tools that you use and why. And so there's useful information in addition to that. And then of course too, which uh, I, as a business person myself appreciate is that it's a way to like tie into, Oh, but BT dubs, I'm also a consultant, or I also do these things, or I have this out and so forth, which always, but it's always very natural and organic and no pressure in the newsletter, which I also a very big believer in as well, is that, hey, just just an FYI, this exists, like I exist for this too. So yes. in case you need it at any point in time, I also do these things. So it's a great way to not only strum up business, but also you like you were talking about before about, you know, inspiring and motivating other people, which yeah. I always appreciate. Thank you. Thanks for saying that. There's definitely the most underrated thing for, for a lot of creators, I think, is the super signature which is at the bottom of an email mm -hmm. where it's like, whenever you're ready, here's three ways I can help. That's it. 
That's it. That's the whole thing. <laughs> you know that. No, I need to steal that. I don't think I, I. I do have some things in my signature, but I don't have there how I can help you. And I think I need to start doing that more. So I think yeah. I'm gonna steal that because that's a really don't good idea. It. Please do. It's the most under like utilized thing. I'm like, this is such a good thing. Use it. <laughs> I do sometimes put in there uh, my titles and things like that, but also some of the other things I'm involved with so that if somebody does a search, a search on their email for like a certain type of a word that my emails will some are put up on there too. So I've done that before. So I like put in there uh, for like a, that I'm a, a member of the recording Academy. So if somebody's typing in recording Academy or something like that in their emails for anything along those lines, especially during like Grammy season that, yeah. I, that, I'll show back up again, showing that I'm a member of, of that community. So things like that. Um, but I, I love the idea of mentioning this is how I can help you too. And then this way it's, it's, it's very passive, right? Because it's just, it's a part of the conversation, but it's always in your signature line. So always pops up every single time that you're having email communication with that person. Yep. Exactly. Which is yep. very, very smart. So. I do want to jump into one other thing that is completely different than everything else. And okay. you started posting on social media, something uh, that is very creative. And that is that the fact that you can sing. Oh God. Okay. Shit. Sorry. Okay. You, this is, Hey, so for everyone listening, Love. Yo, Tanya did ask not to, for me not to ask what questions I'm going to ask her at a time. So, um, no, I'm open to it. So this is all this is on you now. Uh, but I do want to mention it because you have and I mean, I've been in the music industry now for a long time and you have an absolutely incredible voice. And I didn't know that you had that kind of talent for years. Like you never mentioned it. You never posted anything. Closet musician. And then all of a sudden you posted this video and I'm like, are you kidding me? Oh, my this gosh. is amazing. So uh, I did want to mention that because that is something that you are starting to do. And yeah. I think that's uh, like, and I wanted to bring this up too, because you've been an entrepreneur now for a very long time, but even to this day, you're still finding things new to, to try and to do. And we've had even conversations about what you could do even as a musician. Yeah. And uh, I think that is also very uh, I love that fact is the fact that you are trying, you're still trying things that are completely outside of your box and just seeing what happens. Yeah. I appreciate that. I, I, I love, I love doing that. I call those sessions 2am sessions because they're usually somewhere around 2am uh, sometimes during the day, but usually it's quite late at night. Um, and it's just, it's very therapeutic for me, honestly, super therapeutic for me. I've had a few people ask me to do like a little album, which I think is really cool. You should. Um, and if I ever did that, I'm coming to you. I'm telling you now. <laughs> I'm telling you right now here on this podcast, I'm coming to you. <laughs> um, but I was actually, you know, um, not a lot of people know this. I was really into production, music production for a long time. When I was early teens, I would use a program called Reason, which mm -hmm. I'm sure you know. Um, and I would, I would make like, beats and melodies and i try to do like scores for these like really short films um one of my ideas like really early on was something called pro music shorts which is essentially like a way to um bring people who were like amateur musicians with amateur videographers and, and filmmakers but uh i i just i love making music i think it's super fun i think it's super fun but yeah i i definitely prefer to record it and i it's it, it's a, again one of those things that's for me but something I love to do now, like recently, 
is when I screw up, I, I usually just sort of keep it. And I like to post it that way because um, I was in, I was in France, like this is in 2017, it's the first time I ever went to France. And I remember I was in this park and there's this crew of like 20 women who were older, like 60, 70 year old women who were like singing in the park. And I was like, oh, this is, I asked someone, I was like, is this like a choir or, you know? And they were like, no, no, they just, <laughs> they just really enjoy it. And also it's like nice for people in the park. And I was like, oh, <laughs> you're like, that's it? <laughs> and they're like, yeah. And then, you know, and and then I had I'd read something that was talking about like the difference between Americans and Europeans. And one of the biggest things is that a lot of Americans won't, um, if they don't excel at something, they'll stop doing it. Whether it's a sport or an instrument, if they don't just like, if they, if they don't blow it out of the water, they'll just stop by the time they're like college or after college age, which is so sad because there's still so many benefits to playing. Mm -hmm. And so that's something I'm, I'm very intentional about is like, I still want to play. I still find a lot of like purpose in that, in playing. Um, and I want to inspire other people to do that too. I think you should play. I think it's good. I think it's good for everyone. I really do. I think that's so important to, to hear right? because there's this pressure that if we have even some sort of form of talent that we have to nurture it and make it into some, uh, you know, a successful career. And there's all this pressure that goes behind it. But I think sometimes you lose that passion or desire when yeah. you're having on the, that, that pressure on yourself. And I think it's important to think about, you know, there's a big difference between doing something for fun and then making money from it. You can do something for fun and make money from it. Like that, that is totally possible. And that I, I, for me, at least that's always the goal is to find something that I thoroughly enjoy doing, but also make money at, from it. But that doesn't have to be everything. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily be even the thing that you're even are good at or even not good at for that matter. But if it's something that you just love to do for the, for the fact that you just enjoy doing it, then just do that. Just do the thing. And I think, and people forget, like, I mean, if you were podcasting 24 seven, you would, you'd begin to hate it. If I had, you know, like I love soup. If I had soup, well, actually, I think I can do soup 24 seven. <laughs> <laughs> if I do most things that I love, I think, you know, there really is power in like a little bit of moderation. I don't think there's anything in this on this planet, people I love or, or work that I like to do that I could handle 24 seven. But if you know the amount that you love and appreciate, like just do it, just do, just do it, do, do it for the sake of doing it. Do it just be like, like there, and this is a chapter in my book. Joy is the ROI. Sometimes the return on investment sometimes is just joy. And that's hell of an ROI. I so agree. I, I keep that in mind. Yeah. Well, we can start wrapping things up here. I do have a couple of fun questions for you uh, before we uh, end this interview. One, the first question I have for you is what was the first concert that you ever went to? Backstreet Boys Millennium. Yes. <laughs> That's such a good one. I love it. It was so good. It was so good. <laughs> yes. Great question. Is there a specific person that you say that you model yourself after or just simply just admire? Yeah, there's two. Um, one's dead, one's alive. Um, uh, the, the alive one is Seth Godin. I love him. He's a, a friend now, and I'm fortunate to say that. And then... Um, the man who is dead is Ralph Waldo Emerson, who's a transcendentalist, transcendental philosopher. And I love the way he writes. I love the way he thinks. 
Uh, he's the man behind an essay called Self-Reliance. And so I would say if you put those two people together and made them female, that was me. <laughs> yes. Fair. Uh, I was wondering if you were going to talk about Seth. Did you want to talk about your your Seth story? Because I love your Seth story. Oh, gosh. I'm so embarrassed by his Seth story because it's like, it's so sad. Uh, sure. You want me to do a recap on how? how yeah, I-, I, I, I always love the story. And I also was there when this whole thing came about. Because I remember you talking about like, bye, bye Seth Godin responded to me. And for those of you who don't know, Seth Godin is, he's he's a marketing genius. And you should definitely take a look. I mean, he's written so many books. I, I think the more than 20 international bestsellers. Yeah. He he's amazing. I, I mean, the one, the, his most well-known one is called the purple cow and it's a fantastic book. Um, definitely would recommend reading it. So if you don't know who he is, check him out. He, um, he does blogs, he does speaking, really? speaking, he does so many things. So I do highly, highly recommend that you check him out. A truly, truly amazing person. And uh, it just, not only a brilliant person, but just like a genuinely good person too. Yeah. Like he, he really does um, give back. In fact, uh, I voted, which is the organization that I'm a part of. He actually did um, a little thing for us for uh, I voted festival back in oh. 2022. So um, just, a, just an amazing human being. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. He's one of the first people that like would argue for generosity in business. Right. He was the first person who said, hey, usually in business, you have a dollar and you try to do the least possible amount of work for that dollar. What would happen if you tried to do the most amount of work for that dollar? What would it look like? Um, And so I I definitely appreciate his approach. Uh, But the way that I met Seth, it's so embarrassing. I was uh, I was um, coming off of a really terrible breakup. That's how we met. Uh, I was coming off really a really terrible breakup. And I like you know, it was like break, like I broke down in my car, I'm bawling. And for some reason, I think to myself, this is a good time to email Seth Godin for the very first time in my life. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. I wrote him this super long essay of just like what's happening in my life. And I have no idea what to do. And I was like 23 years old at the time. And I was like, I'm not married and I'm so old. <laughs> like all of these things where like Assyrian culture was like a big thing. It's like, you know, you're not married in your 20s. Um, and so I, you know, I was just venting to this man. And then I sent it to him and I stopped crying. And I was like, man, this is like, this is like really, <laughs> this is a lot. And he, uh, he replied like 20 minutes later. He replied, which I was shocked by, and he said, um, he said a, a few things, but the thing that I remember the most is like, hang in there. Like, it's it's only going to get better. Like, just hang in there. Wow. And yeah, that was like the most touching thing. It's just like, number one, you didn't have to email me. Number two, for you to give me any kind of words of encouragement, because see how that plays out in my life now <laughs> um, is remarkable, you know? And then um, we had a couple email exchanges. I don't even remember what they were about. But at one point in the coffee shop, I had um, emailed him and I said, you know, Phoenix has an amazing startup culture. You should come to Phoenix. And he emailed me back and he was like, I'm not coming to Phoenix. Nothing is happening in Phoenix. <laughs> like, just, just no, you know. And uh, I was like, oh, I think you're wrong about this. I think that, you know, I think there's something, something going on here. And then maybe six months later, I'm working behind the bar at the shop and uh, our buddy Shane, who is uh, another Cahoots member, had come up and he was like, hey, you know, your your guy is over at the convention center, just, just down the road, Phoenix Convention Center. I was like, who? He's like, Seth Godin. 
I was like, no way. So I email him like on the spot. I remember there was a customer. I was like, just give me a second. <laughs> and I like email him. And I was like, are you at the Phoenix Convention Center? Because I, this is, my coffee shop is right here. And like, you know, I'm telling you all these things. And, um, and then I look up, you know, like an hour later and Seth Godin walks inside the coffee shop. <laughs> and I am like, like lost my mind. <laughs> uh and he was just amazing and he gave me a big hug and I just remember people were like tweeting inside cahoots they were just like what is that Seth Godin is inside cahoots right now and we took a picture and it was just the most generous thing he came in said hello gave me a hug and then yeah that's amazing I remember you messaging me to be like Mike Seth Godin I, I think that was one of the one of the days I was not at Cohen. I think it was yeah and I'm like are you what you and you're like i'm like i don't believe you you say pick pictures i'm like going nuts and that but that's the thing right it's like you know think about the time that it took him to just you know for a little bit to just go because it literally was like a couple of blocks away from the conventions yeah. and you know for him to just take a little bit of time out out for him to just walk down there and just say hello but yeah. how much of a difference that made huge huge and very much in in theme with like this idea of do things that don't scale sometimes because look how how long has it been it's been almost 10 years we're still talking about this it's an awesome story and it took him like 10 minutes yep exactly you know and it was just like a it was just a gener it was just like a generous very human thing to do and um yeah i think that's 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 why i consider him one of my greatest mentors i think i, I love the way that he approaches business and, and life we talked about a lot of different th things, a lot of philosophies, but if you were only able to give one piece of advice to somebody, let's say they're an entrepreneur or, or creator, let's yeah. say we'll put them all in one bunch bucket, here, yeah. one bucket. Okay. What would that one piece of advice be? Mm. Um, I would say have the confidence that you can learn anything. That's what I would say. If you believe that, which I, I think is true, I think it's true for anyone. If you can learn, you can literally learn anything. Um, and if you really believe that, there's really nothing that you cannot take on. It just isn't. It's just like, it might take you a longer time than other people and that's fine, but you can still do it. So I, I tell people that, yeah, uh, the time is going to pass anyway. So if you have an opportunity to learn something that you want to do, just learn it. There's literally nothing you cannot learn. I will say that. Couldn't think of better advice than that. Well, thank you so, so much, Tanya. I just want to say that you inspire me and I'm very, very grateful for you. So, uh, keep, you know, keep it up. I'm, I'll always be your biggest cheerleader. And uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Mike. Same here. I hope you know this. I'm always cheering you on. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much for listening to Creatives Prevail. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others or leave us a review. They are an immense help. Now go out there and make something happen.